This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, the 5th day of January, 2021. Good morning and welcome aboard. Good to have you along today. I say good morning. If you're a podcast listener, you could be listening to this at any time. But the podcast is up on Facebook Live. And I do this in the morning, so come on in. I hope you're doing well. Hope you and yours have made it through the last few days unscathed. <laughs> I didn't. Yesterday, yesterday was an adventure in weirdness. Oh my gosh! I, I, since you had no way of hearing what happened yesterday, let me explain why I wasn't here. Uh, I wasn't here because uh, um, I was here, and and I didn't push one button. One button. And I went through this entire podcast yesterday. I actually did a podcast. I I pulled all of the information in. I did what I usually do. I came back after a holiday break. I talked about all of this and that and the other things and, and didn't push one button, the record button. <laughs> and, and the reason that's an issue is because um, per, previously I had things set up with an application that automatically records. So I didn't have to think about uh, about pushing the button. I just had to get things rolling, get things started, and an application called Audio Hijack would just grab the audio as it uh, as it went out online, and then I would I go back and trim it up a bit, trim the uh, the breaks out for the podcast subscribers, and move forward with life. And I got a new piece of equipment for Christmas. And I, uh, uh, part of that, the, one of the functions that this piece of equipment does is records and it does a good job of recording. So what I decided to do was just to stop using the old method and start using the new method. But for that to work, you have to remember to press the record button, <laughs> which I didn't do. And I thought to myself, self, this is no problem. You can just go to Facebook and download the Facebook live and pull the audio off of that. Something I've done in the past when I've had issues on the local level. So I did that. And the audio on Facebook Live was a wreck. I didn't realize it. There were some settings that um, I had, uh, well, there were some settings that I, I that apparently I had uh, clicked. I did not know. I, I did not know that, that they would affect the way things recorded. And it just sounded bizarre. I, uh, so that was a, that was a pile of junk and I couldn't use it. So no podcast yesterday, but I'm back today. Uh, the record button is bright red. The, uh, everything seems to be running. We have lady Liberty in the clouds on the, on the YouTube, on the, uh, not the YouTube, the Facebook live feed. And, uh, I see all of the, the levels on my meters bumping like they should be. So it looks like everything is good. So hopefully all will go well today. And there will be no major problems. Major problems. I'm always encountering minor problems. Uh, in addition to that, I've changed the way the podcast subscription feed is hosted. I've changed hosting companies. And um, the process is a bit different. It's a little more, mm, it, it, or it's a little less automatic than it used to be. Uh, it requires me to get involved and do some things online that I used to do here locally before uploading, but that's okay. 
And the reason I did that is because I was, uh, I was shelling out money every month for podcasting and I found a place that would basically pay me. So, uh, I, that's a no brainer. And the way that happens is with ads. So in the future, probably not today, probably not tomorrow, maybe not this week or next week, but sometime, hopefully in the near future, you'll start hearing, um, in the breaks where I usually podcast subscribers know this, I, where I usually trim out all of the stuff that's, uh, that I run during the live feed there will be a single commercial in each one of those breaks. So you're going to get three commercials and, uh, they will be commercials from places which have been presented to me, approved by me and probably recorded by me. So, uh, it'll be things that I, that I don't have a problem with or that I'm, that I endorse. So that's a good thing for me. So, and we'll see how that works. It may be a while before it happens because they look at your audience numbers and determine who would be a good fit for you and, Eh, we'll see. And I've made no bones about this in the past. I know this is a pokey little podcast. I know it doesn't have a huge audience, so it just may not appeal to anybody. And I may just end up running ads for the hosting company. That's fine. I'll be glad to do 90 seconds of advertising in a one hour podcast, more or less to get it for free, to get the hosting for free. So that's fine. And what else is there? I don't think there's really much else. It's a, uh, I've got uh, the new, uh, the new piece of equipment I just kind of vaguely referred to is a Rodecaster Pro. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, uh, an audio control console that has digital processing built in. It has uh, a recorder built in. It has, it has a bunch of buttons you can assign different things to, uh, like that. It has, uh, um, it has processing for the microphones. Uh, it has uh, it has four microphone channels and more channels for other things that you can that you can include. Uh, you can hook up your computer. You can hook up. I can hook up my iPhone and actually do phone interviews. I there's which I could have done with the other one, but it was a much more convoluted process. And this is all handled automatically. You just you just plug in and turn it up, and there it is. And uh, I was very happy to get that. Very happy to get that. Also, um, I I took a little a little bit of uh, leftover cash and I replaced the computer that I've been using for so long. My my trusty old MacBook Pro is now uh, my wife's trusty MacBook Pro. It's been wiped clean and load, her stuff loaded on it. And I I've got one of the new uh, M1 uh, M1 Mac Minis, and I've been using it. And the only thing that I can see that could be a pro- and I, I don't even know that that's a problem with it. I've been, I've been having a little bit of an issue with browsing where things just kind of lock up. And I think that's probably because not everybody has caught up with programming for the M one chip yet. And so it's going through a translator, um, <laughs> called Rosetta, Rosetta two. And, it's uh, it. I think in the process of translation, it gets bogged down sometimes, and it, it depends on which browser I'm using. There's there are some browsers that are really rough to use with this, and others are just fine. So uh, it, I'm not a big fan of Safari, which is Apple's browser, but um, it it's just super speedy, super super speedy. But I've been using Firefox. I have Firefox linked and synced on all of my devices, and 
I may just have to make a transition if I can be satisfied that Firefox will save my logins, will import everything, that I will not have to go through a painful process changing over to Safari. We'll see. Well, that's that's a little adventure into Nerdville I didn't anticipate. <laughs> so thank you for hanging through that. Uh, what else? Also, a, a new monitor. I got a. Uh, I, I found a cheap deal on a a little twenty two inch monitor that replaces the screen that was on the MacBook Pro because I use one computer and two screens, and the the Mac Mini is hooked up to this this twenty two inch monitor. And it's also hooked up to a 27-inch iMac, an old iMac that I just use as a screen because I have it, I bought it, I own it. It's too slow to be useful today, but it can be used as a screen. And so that's what I do. And it, it's, it's a good-looking monitor, and so why not use it? It makes a little noise, and that's one of the issues that I'm dealing with here. Let me see if I can demonstrate for you. I get in a little closer, and you, well, of course, now you can't hear it. Oh, well, anyway, um, when the noise gate is hanging on for that little split second afterwards, when I stop speaking, if the mic is in just the right place, you can hear it, the fans humming on that computer. And I can, and it drives me crazy. And now that I've pointed it out, and if you if you tend to fixate on that kind of stuff, you <laughs> You'll probably hear it, and you've never noticed it before. But anyway, we'll see. I also changed out microphones. I was using a studio condenser, and I switched back to a, um, a Sennheiser MD421 that uh, I've had stuck in storage for a while. I pulled it back out, mainly because it is much more directional than the other one, and it's better at rejecting those noises. The, the condenser mic picked up stuff like that all the time. I could hear... I could hear the fan on my other, my Hackintosh, which is like eight feet away from me. I could hear the fans on it all the time, and I don't hear that now, which is a positive. Okay, so I've gone for ten and a half minutes or so, rambling on about things that really don't matter. <laughs> so we'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see where this goes from here. Um, I, I, I saw this this morning. And I, I kind of wondered about passing it on, but I'm going to pass it on to you. Josh Hawley, he's a senator from Missouri, a Republican, was on the road and learned while he was on the road that Antifa had showed up at his house. A group of Antifa members threatened his family in their Washington home last night. He says he will not be intimidated. In his words, he says, Tonight, while I was in Missouri, Antifa scumbags came to our place in D.C. and threatened my wife and newborn daughter, who can't travel. They screamed threats, vandalized, and tried to pound open our door. Let me be clear. My family and I will not be intimidated by left-wing violence. He posted this to Twitter late yesterday. Hawley recently made headlines after he became the first senator to publicly announce that he would object to the counting of the Electoral College vote process tomorrow, January 6th. A group called Shutdown DC, which is affiliated with the far-left Antifa network, posted to Twitter late Monday a video where a group of people walked to the front of Hawley's house in the northern suburbs of Virginia, bordering DC, and for about an hour held signs and carried candles while shouting slogans against Hawley through loudspeakers. 
The Post reads, surprise, we're at Josh Josh Hawley's house holding a vigil for democracy. Uh, Vigil? Uh, When you hear the description, it doesn't sound much like a vigil. When I hear the word or read the word vigil, I, I think of something solemn. I think of people standing, holding candles, quietly, reverently, holding a vigil for something. That's what I hear. That's what I think I should say. But the description I have seen here seems to be more of a protest reminiscent of another conservative in Washington, D.C., who got a call from his wife saying that there were protesters pounding on their door, trying to break their door down. The group later issued a statement on their website confirming that the reason they presented to Holly's house was because he took a stance against the Electoral College certification process scheduled to take place at a joint session in Congress on January 6th. In the statement, shutdown D.C. characterized Hawley's planned move to object to the Electoral College votes, which is joined by 12 other Republican senators and an anticipated 140 Republican House members, as a plan to derail Congress's acceptance of Joe Biden's election win on January 6th. Shutdown D.C. activist Patrick Young, Patrick Young, in a statement late Monday, alleged that Hawley is trying to silence voices of voters and claimed that the bulk of the votes they would throw out come from the black and brown voters. Of course, they're going to play the race card. And the only reason that that black and brown-skinned people are involved in this is because the Democrats are in control of the cities where these people live. And the Democrats... It's the Democrats who have done this to their constituents. No one else. The Democrats have broken election law. The Democrats have have participated in vote fraud. The Democrats have done this to their own constituency. And then they object and point the finger of blame at people who are simply saying, hey, this is wrong. It should not have happened. We need to clarify all of this. You see, people like Josh Hawley are standing up for legal votes. They want transparency in this election. And people people like Antifa and the Democrats want anything but. They want to be able to operate under the cover of darkness so that you don't know the crimes they're committing to get what they want in politics. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, January 5th, 2020. Something I failed to mention in the opening segment, the show notes is now handled differently as well. Um, I decided to give show notes its own web page. So show notes now has its own website. It's called linkreport.us. So to get the daily show notes, you just bop over to linkreport.us. It's not .com, it's not .net, it's not .org, it's .us, linkreport.us. And uh, you'll find show notes right there. In fact, I just dropped the Josh Hawley story. So uh, as, I, as I move through the show, I'll, I'll drop the show notes in place on the website. Um, unless things happen and get in the way, but the show notes will be posted by 15 after the live pro- program anyway. So 
it'll be there in the morning. And you, if you're a podcast subscriber, then by the time you get the podcast, odds are the show notes will already all be posted and in place. But if, uh, for example, you're listening on Facebook Live and you wanted to go look at that story about Josh Hawley and the way um, the Antifa thugs showed up at his house, you could go right now and look at it because it's there at linkreport.us. There you go. That's where you go find your show notes now. Linkreport.us. In fact, I'm taking a look at it. Let's see. Over there you go, man. There it is. Dun, da, da. And there's also a, a story that I did when I was doing things yesterday. Why did the world react so hysterically to COVID? I think, you know, since we didn't have that yesterday, I may bring that up in the last segment today. I think I will. Since it's already up on show on the show notes feed on uh, linkreport.us, I think I think we'll do that today for the final segment. We'll talk about COVID and why the world reacted so hysterically to it. Okay? All right. Moving forward, White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro has said in an interview on Fox News that the January 20th date for Inauguration Day could be changed. Navarro made the remarks on justice with Judge Janine on the 2nd, January 2nd, in the context of a recent call by 11 Republican senators for Congress to appoint an electoral commission to conduct an emergency 10-day audit of the election results. Judge Janine Pirro asked Navarro about his expectations for the effort, saying, all this has to happen before January 20th. Do you have any hope that this can succeed? Navarro answered, Vice President Pence, he has the authority to give that 10-day window to do what needs to get done. I cannot imagine when he looks at the facts, he won't vote the right way on that. Pirro responded by saying that the 10-day window could change the date for certification of electoral votes planned for the January 6th joint session of Congress, chaired by Pence, when lawmakers certify the votes cast for the U.S. president by members of the Electoral College. Quote, January 20th cannot be changed. That's the Constitution. That's constitutional, Pirro added, presumably referring to Section 1 of the 20th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which states, quote, the terms of the president and the vice president shall end at noon on the 20th day of January, and the terms of their successors shall then begin. Navarro said it can be changed, actually. We can go past that date. We can go past that date if we need to, and we've got to get this right. We need to take the election back for the people. Pirro didn't ask Navarro to clarify further. The White House didn't immediately respond to a request for comment on his comments. In calling for the 10-day audit, the Republican senators, led by Senator Ted Cruz, the Republican from Texas, said in a statement that the 2020 election featured unprecedented allegations of voter fraud, violations and lax enforcement of election law, and other voting irregularities. The uh, allegations of fraud and irregularities in the 2020 election exceed any in our lifetimes, they said, adding that this deep distrust of U.S. democratic processes will not magically disappear and should, not con- and should concern us all, whether or not elected officials or journalists believe the allegations. It poses an ongoing threat to the legitimacy of any subsequent administrations, said the senators in their statement, adding that they intend to object to the votes unless and until the emergency 10-day audit is completed. VP Pence has said he welcomes efforts by lawmakers to challenge the Electoral College results on January 6th. The vice president's chief of staff, Mark Short, 
issued the statement to reporters on January 2nd saying that Pence is open to considering planned objections by Republican House members and senators to Electoral College votes cast for Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. Short added that Pence also welcomes efforts by lawmakers to present evidence of election irregularities and voter fraud before Congress during that session. Short said in a statement sent to media outlets, Vice President Pence shares the concerns of millions of Americans about voter fraud and irregularities in the last election. Hmm. So, apparently, we can push that January 20th date back, if necessary. And, frankly, between you and me and the dog over here, I think it is necessary. I think we need to get to the bottom of what's happened. I think we need some true transparency. I think we need for the American people who, for the most part, don't access the information available. All they do is just listen to whatever news snippets they hear on the evening news or on the news at the top of the hour or on their radio stations or whatever or whatever social media is passing around, these people with this lack of real information need to know what's actually going on. They need to know the reasons behind the challenges. They need to understand why people are objecting. And if for no other reason, I think a postponement is a good thing. Because, sadly, the people of the United States of America aren't getting the information they need to make wise decisions. They're emotionally involved. They're ignoring the reality of the situation for personal preference or whatever. And they need to see the actual reasons. They need to see the video of Georgia Georgia, uh, election workers dismissing everyone, including the legally required observers, and then after everyone is left, processing votes which had been stored away in containers under a table behind a a skirt under the table. They need to see the video of Georgia election workers scanning the same stacks of ballots again and again and again and again and again. They need to see the testimony of the people who worked in these situations as to how they were treated, how they were not allowed to honestly observe what was going on. They were not allowed to object when they saw what they thought was not correct and how they were escorted away from their positions and not allowed to participate anymore after raising an objection by people saying they were concerned about violations of COVID-19 safeguards. Those things actually happened. Those things I've just mentioned actually happened. But many people don't know that those things happened, or they believe that those of us talking about these things happening are lying, and that the people who are making these claims are lying. See, those people need to see the sworn affidavits. They need to know that the people making these claims aren't making them lightly. 
they have sworn an oath punishable by jail time if they're lying. They need to see. But they haven't been seeing because their choices for information are not telling them these these things. And they need to know these things. This has to be done. The American people need this transparency. And they won't get this transparency unless the people you and I have voted for stand up and demand this transparency. And even if it happens, don't count on the news media giving it the same attention it gave the impeachment process, the kangaroo court that the Democrats put into action trying to get rid of President Trump. They will not give it the same attention they gave the Justice Kavanaugh hearings. They will not allow the people to see for themselves and make their own decision because that's dangerous to progressives. Progressives don't want you to know all the facts. They just want you to trust them. It's the old, who are you going to believe? Us or your lying eyes situation? Because when you know all the facts, you can make your own decisions and make wise decisions. But if you're just going to trust politicians, well, bless your heart, you're struggling along blind. Welcome back to the Daily Perspective Podcast for this Tuesday, the 5th day of January 2020. A little over halfway through today's podcast. Let's see, was there something else I wanted to pass along? I don't think there was. Oh, yeah. The Daily Perspective Podcast.com. Yeah, that big mouthful. DailyPerspectivePodcast.com. Uh, that website has also been updated. It has a new look. So run over there today and have a look at it. I kind of cleaned it up, simplified it, made it a little more straightforward. And uh, I go have a look at it. Let me know what you think. Drop me a line. Let me, let me know what you think of it today. And, um, oh, you can always do that too. I think, uh, let me go double check before I commit to it, but I think, I think, I think there's a link there for contacting me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been working on, um, I had a, was three, four different pod, three, four, four different websites, uh, for various things and, uh, and keeping straight what I have, (laughs) what I've actually done. (laughs) Okay. There we are. That is the bottom. If you, if you scroll, if you go to dailyperspectivepodcast.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, there is a button that says, share your thoughts. And, uh, you can click on that and it will, uh, uh, it will open up a, a little form where you can send me a message. All right. So that's what you need to do today. Uh, let me know you, you looked at the website, tell me what you think about the podcast and, uh, and who knows you might end up as part of a future podcast. I might read your comments. We'll see. Okay. All right. Um, 
I was I'm scanning for something this morning on social media, and you know I do this a lot of times during the breaks I'm doing it, but today I've been otherwise occupied. But um, uh, I there was something that I saw early this morning as I was going through I was going through my email and social media and this and the like after I got up, and I I um. Um, I started looking for it because I wanted to include some audio from it and I, it's gone. I mean, it is just gone. And what it was, was Don Jr. at the uh, event in Georgia last night talking about this whole, uh, a man and a woman, a, a thing at the end of the prayer at the opening of the house of representatives yesterday. And I, I and I I thought well that that would be fun. What he had to say was kind of fun, so I I want to go clip that back out. And I didn't save a link to it earlier this morning because I thought oh well I'll be able to find that. That won't be a problem at all. Not so much. It's gone. I mean I can't find it anywhere. Hopefully you can because what he had to say was funny. <laughs> can you imagine stepping into sitting down at a restaurant and demanding to see the uh, the woman? you the woman you i instead of the menu you ask for the woman you i i just uh that's the ludicrousy we face right now just the idiocy of progressivism and wokeism a wokeism is going to destroy us people have been saying for years that political correctness was going to destroy us and they were right we've come to the point in political correction uh, uh being politically correct today that to say a man and not include a women is idiocy. It's it's insulting, and that just drives me to say once again that the inmates are running the asylum. the 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 loony bin has been taken over by its occupants, and we'd better wake up to it. We'd better wake up to it. Some people are waking up to it. Some people are demanding the the transparency and clarity that we should have with regard to our elections. One of those is Alabama Republican Representative Mo Brooks. He said yesterday that he signed an objection to the electoral vote in six states ahead of the joint session of Congress coming up tomorrow. He says, promises made, promises kept. Today I signed objections to tainted electoral college vote submissions in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Senators, time to sign on, too. America must not tolerate voter fraud and election theft that undermines our republic, Brooks wrote, echoing statements from President Donald Trump that fraud and irregularities cost him the election. Brooks was the first member of Congress to announce he would challenge the electoral votes, telling Epoch Times in November that Congress has the absolute right to decide the final outcome of a presidential election. He said in that interview at that time, Congress has the absolute right to reject the submitted electoral college votes of any state, which we believe has such a shoddy election system that you can't trust the election results that those states are submitting to us, that they're suspect. And I'm not going to put my name in support of any state that employs an election system that I don't have confidence in. Several senators have since said they would challenge the vote as well. That group includes uh, Senators Ted Cruz, the Republican from Texas, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, James Lankford of Oklahoma, Steve Daines of, of, uh, 
of Montana, John Kennedy of Louisiana, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Mike Braun of Indiana, Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming, Roger Marshall of Kansas, Bill Haggerty of Tennessee, and Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. Last Wednesday, Senator Josh Hawley, the Republican from Missouri, became the first to announce plans to object. The session tomorrow is the final step in the Electoral College process of certifying a president-elect. Taking place two weeks before Inauguration Day, the session sees the vice president, as president of the Senate, preside over members of Congress counting electoral votes. Objections are allowed if they're in writing and supported by at least one representative and at least one senator. If the conditions are met, objections trigger withdrawal from the joint session and a two-hour debate. The chambers then vote on the objection, and a a state's election certification is upheld with a majority vote in each chamber. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in a letter to Democrats, laid out a strategy for her caucus during the joint session. She claimed in a statement that Vice President Mike Pence, who is the president of the Senate, quote, presides over a joint session and calls the role of states. Her statement suggested that the House Democrats have been working on methods of how to defend against the electoral challenges lodged by GOP GOP members of Congress in favor of President Donald Trump. And that's something that we should not be ignorant of. We should expect the fact that Nancy Pelosi and her caucus will have been behind closed doors in secret working out their plans about how to shoot things down. Now, at this moment, the Democrats are still in control of the House of Representatives. And the way this works, it kind of depends on how Uh, on who you believe at this point, there are a couple of different points of view. One is that there is going to be a vote and the vote doesn't go by the standard voting process. It goes by the, it it goes by the States represented represented and, and the numbers are different. And at this point, Republicans have more voting power in that way. And then the other way is a traditional party line vote, which will, probably happen. We'll see. They, these people are, if nothing else, savvy enough about how laws work and how to twist the meaning of words that they will find ways to get what they want. They've been doing it for longer than both of us have been alive. Trust me. There was a time when they were honorable. There was a time when there was some common ground. There was a time when they agreed on what was acceptable, unacceptable, right, wrong, proper, improper. But today, the progressives who are running the Democrat Party don't care. These Marxists don't care about anything but progressing forward with Marxism. That's all they care about. And they will stop at nothing to achieve their goals. So don't be surprised that after this two-hour debate period tomorrow, the House of Representatives will vote to accept Joe Biden as the president because the Democrats are deceptive, sleazy, and can't be trusted. They just want what they want, and that's all they care about. And so in the end, they will do what it takes to get what they want. Do not be deceived. All right, uh, what else is there? Um, okay. 
no. I'm going to put that towards the end because I'm going to be talking about coronavirus in the next segment. So let me move that over here and this. More than 300 District of Columbia National Guardsmen are in Washington, D.C. this week to help support police officers patrolling protests scheduled by supporters of President Donald Trump this week. Metropolitan Chief of Police Robert Conti III told reporters at a press conference yesterday, We have received confirmation that the D.C. National Guard will be assisting the Metro Police Department beginning tomorrow through through the life cycle of this event. That's interesting. National Guard personnel will be assisting police officers from January 5th to 7th with crowd management and traffic control, freeing officers to focus on anyone who's intent on instigating, agitating, or participating in violence in our city, he adds. Mayor Muriel Bowser, a Democrat, revealed she'd requested National Guard to help in a December 31st letter to District of Columbia National Guard Commanding General William Walker. Bowser said guardsmen wouldn't be armed and wouldn't be involved in domestic surveillance searches or seizures of Americans. Pro-Trump ralliers plan on gathering in D.C. this week to protest during the counting of electoral votes. The main locations police expect people to gather are the U.S. Capitol, Freedom Plaza, and the Ellipse near the White House. Bowser noted that two pro-Trump protests late last year devolved into violence. In both instances, most violence appeared to be perpetrated by left-wing agitators, but pro-Trump ralliers, including members of the right-wing Proud Boys group, were filmed brawling as well. Can I just say that they always find it necessary to focus on the violence, but they are never clear on who instigates the violence? and who instigates the violence in all of these instances, going all the way back four years ago to when Donald Trump, or more than four years ago now, when Donald Trump was running for office, there were incidents of violence at rallies and public gatherings, and they were all instigated by leftists, by Antifa and people like that. Instigating violence, starting fights... And the press focused on those fights and talked about how there was violence at these rallies. Well, yes, there was violence at these rallies. And the violence was all planned and intentional. The violence was there to distract people from the rally itself and to what was being said and what was being promised and to attract attention and focus attention on something besides what a presidential candidate was trying to say. And nothing has changed. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. The final segment. I said we were going to dive into uh, the coronavirus, the COVID stuff. And I want to pass along something I passed along yesterday that never made it to your inbox or, or whatever because of my, <laughs> my Mark's an idiot problem. Um, but before that, there's a story coming from The Blaze. It's called, uh, it says, U.S. official growing body of evidence coronavirus came from a Wuhan lab. And um, 
the U.S. Let me just dive in for just a couple of paragraphs here, just to set the stage. U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor Matthew Pottinger told British uh, parliamentarians last week that even Chinese leaders have started to acknowledge that the virus did not originate in the Wuhan wet market, as initially reported. Instead, he said it likely escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is located just 11 miles away. Quote, from the Daily Mail, there is a growing body of evidence that the lab is likely the most credible source of the virus. He said this during a a Zoom conference about China. Even establishment figures in Beijing have openly dismissed the wet market story. Uh, he, He can't confirm whether it was by leak or by accident. But at least people are saying what people pretty much believe to be true way back then. Because if you'll recall, there were reports right after everybody was aware of the coronavirus. There were reports then that there was a virology lab very close to Wuhan. And that the odds were more likely that this came out of that lab than out of somebody eating bat soup at a local market. Well, the world, over the last few months has kind of gone crazy. Um, And this is uh, what I'm going to share with you now is was written by Sebastian Rushworth, MD, uh, just a couple of days ago, over the weekend, in fact, on Sunday. He says, over the last few months, I've sought to demonstrate that COVID is nowhere near as bad as it is portrayed by the mainstream media. I've written about how the mortality rate is below 0.2%, meaning that for most people, the risk of dying if you get infected is less than 1 in 500 and less than 1 in 3,000 if you're below 70 years of age. I've also written about how the disease preferentially strikes people who are anyway very close to the end of life, so the amount of lifetime lost when someone dies of the disease is usually small. And I've noted that in 2020, that 2020 will likely turn out to have been a very average year in terms of overall mortality, in spite of the supposed deadly pandemic that is currently raging. Some have countered, That COVID might not be that deadly, but lots of people have long COVID. I've pointed out that 98% of people who get COVID are fully recovered within three months, and that there is no good evidence that COVID results in long-term health consequences. There's bad evidence, based on low-quality science, that has intentionally been used to scare people. I've also pointed out that the measures taken to fight COVID, such as the huge fear campaigns, canceled childhood vaccination programs, and school closures, will result in far more years of life lost than will be lost to the virus directly. And the data I've used to point out all these things is publicly available and published in some of the most prestigious and respected scientific journals in the world. Given that this is the case, what's going on? Lockdowns have, in many cases, have been more severe the second time round than the first, even though we know so much more about the virus. It made sense to be extremely careful in March when little was known about COVID-19. It doesn't make sense anymore. I have a hypothesis. That is really just my attempt to make sense of the situation, which I'm going to share with you. A lot of these thoughts have been developed together with Ulf Martin, who's written extensively about what he thinks is going on on his own website. If you have an an alternative hypothesis, please share it in the comments section below, and we can discuss. 
As everyone knows, COVID-19 started in China, and China is a totalitarian dictatorship that has a long history of strict control of its media messaging and a well-developed propaganda machine. I think the Chinese realized early on that COVID-19 wasn't very serious. No worse than a bad flu. That's probably why their initial response was to try to suppress public discussion of it and just let it blow over. But it soon became clear that was going to be impossible, with stories spreading rapidly on social media in spite of their attempts at censorship. So instead, they changed tack and decided to stage a show straight out of a Hollywood movie. Therefore, in January and February, the world was treated to carefully choreographed images of lockdown in Wuhan. We saw the entrances to apartment complexes being welded shut, people in hazmat suits fumigating buildings, people lying dead in the street, fleets of vehicles spraying disinfectant over everything. Maybe this was merely intended to be a show of strength. Maybe the goal was to manipulate other countries into the extraordinary acts of self-harm that ensued. Or maybe that was just a lucky, a lucky byproduct. Regardless, China claimed to have defeated COVID completely in a little over a month. On the 11th of February, China reported 6,900 cases a day. A month later, there were supposedly only 15 cases a day in all of China, a country of over 1 billion people. At present, when the rest of the world is dealing with a second wave, China is still reporting less than 20 cases per day. They're also claiming that less than 5,000 people have so far died of COVID in China. That's less than Sweden, a country with less than 1% of China's population. Yeah, right. For some reason, even though we know that China is a dictatorship with a well-developed propaganda machine, we are trusting their numbers and their information. We're trusting that China's temporary lockdown in Wuhan was so successful that the disease was stamped out completely in the country and still hasn't shown any sign of returning. Clearly, this is impossible. As I've written about earlier, the evidence shows that lockdown is ineffective. And by the time Wuhan went into lockdown in February, the virus had already been circulating in China for months and must have been widely spread throughout the country. Locking down one city in a situation where the virus was already widespread in the country was really a meaningless action, purely done for the purposes of propaganda. And what was the result? Global media went into overdrive, spreading the Chinese images across the world. When cases started to appear in other countries, everyone was already primed to see this as a deadly pandemic. Demands were made in both established media and social media that governments take similar action to China, since China's actions had clearly been shown to be so effective. Democratic governments, afraid of losing voters, complied. Voters, seeing increasingly draconian measures being taken by governments, felt that this justified their fear and became even more afraid and ever more demanding. A positive feedback loop was created, and the rest is history. A hundred years from now, historians will not be talking about COVID-19 as an example of a deadly pandemic on par with the Spanish flu. They'll be talking about it as an example of how easy it is to induce a state of collective mass hysteria. Given that this is the case, how long will the present hysteria continue? I think most governments have dug themselves into a hole in relation to COVID. They've portrayed it as far more deadly and dangerous than it is. They know this. But to admit the error now is impossible. Partly, that's because lockdown has resulted in so much suffering that it wouldn't be suicidal, that it would be suicidal to say that it was all for nothing. 
Partly, it's because the mass media and general public are so convinced of the seriousness of the disease that any government that argued to argued the contrary would be labeled as irresponsible and deranged. So the only way out of the hole is with a magic bullet. And that magic bullet is the vaccine. It doesn't matter whether the vaccine has any effect whatsoever on overall mortality or whether it protects the old and infirm who are at most risk of severe disease or prevents spread of infection. The only thing that matters is getting out of the hole as quickly as possible without admitting ever having done anything wrong. Once enough people have been vaccinated, governments can state that the crisis has been has ended, heads of state can be lauded as heroes, and we can all go about our lives. I think Dr. Rushworth is on to something here. I think we were played by China. I think he's right about that. I think that government went all in playing the hero. Democrat gov- Democratic governments around the world did the same thing. They do what they always do when presented with a perceived problem. They, <laughs> they, they played the hero. They stepped up and said, we've got this, people. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lock everybody down. You got to stay at home to keep from spreading the disease. We've looked this over as as the doctor says, we know a lot more now than we did back in March. And we know that the lockdowns aren't helping. In fact, we're learning that the lockdowns are probably doing more harm than good. We were told very early on that wearing masks was not necessary. In fact, it was useless. Because in order to stop the spread of the virus itself, you had to wear a very specific level of mask. And trust me, nobody's doing that. So the mask being required to you're being required to wear are completely ineffective. They're useless. We've learned a lot of stuff. But apparently one thing we haven't learned is that government is going to continue lying to us because It's in the hole. And the only way out of the hole is to let it all play out and pretend they fixed the problem with the virus with a vaccine. We'll see how it actually plays out. And that's it for today. God bless. Have a great day. And we'll see you back here for the Wednesday edition of the podcast. Have a great day. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Oh, we're uh, we're done.